Hello and welcome to another episode of the Narrative Labyrinth, where we discuss film, TV, literature and game with in-depth review, discussion and analysis. I'm your host Rachel and today I'm joined by two guests who are here to talk about uh, endings in films and television and why we can never quite stick the landing. I'd really like you to welcome... Hello there, I'm Stephen and I'm here to talk about endings. General Kenobi! I'm Andy, and I'm also here to talk about endings, and maybe more than just film and TV, because I like to mess with a format. Excellent. Really glad I brought you both on here. So, um, <laughs> Stephen, you've been on here before. I have. Uh, this time your better half is not here to keep you under wraps, so who knows what carnage is about to happen. And Andy, it's actually your fault that we're here at all. Yes, it's all my fault. <laughs> yeah, You're welcome. Excellent. So, as I said, we are here to talk about endings, and this is um, fitting, I guess, as it's the final episode of the season. Yeah, I see what you did there. <laughs> are we just hoping to get renewed for next season? I mean, do- does season two depend on how well this episode is received? It does depend on the syndication rights, I suppose. Oh, no. Of, of which I do think there's an entire episode about, isn't it? There is a whole episode on syndication. It's fine. Um, and I guess I am the final girl as the only woman left. So Oh, wow. We're ticking off all these tropes here, aren't we? <laughs> I know. All these tropes I've talked about. It's so great. It's like I planned it. I did if not we, plan it. If we but leave it's this like epi- I did. If we leave this episode in a cliffhanger, they'll have to renew us. No. No, they do not. <laughs> they do not do that. We will I talk think... about that. But they do not have to. I think it's fair to say we've learned that that is not the case. Um, mm. <clears throat> so, as I said, we're here to talk about endings. All good things have to come to an end, but so do bad things. And I guess the quality of that ending is highly, highly dependent on uh, the property and sometimes can be quite uh, distinguishably different from the main property. Um, so this entire episode was actually um, conceived when talking about the uh, ill-fated ending shall we say, of Game of Thrones um, and how nobody was happy with that ending. I just love how we as a collective society, you know, and, and, you know, we're full of divisiveness, you know, there's arguments, the world is going to hell in a handbasket. But there's one thing we have all come together and agreed is that after that ending, we've just agreed Game of Thrones didn't happen. Yeah, it just stopped. (laughs) Yeah. I find it really fascinating. Like you never see... Uh, like I don't have any students that wear like Game of Thrones hoodies or like patches on their bags or pin badges. There's no like um, no one says winter's coming. Like we've had snow this week, which is really unusual for November in Manchester, and not a single person has said, "Oh, winter's coming when it's cold." Like for some somehow we've expunged Game of Thrones from like the zeitgeist completely. It's bizarre, isn't it? It's just like we've just all, like Andy says, we've all agreed to just not <laughs> i mean they're doing and, a prequel series and zero excitement for it zero hype it's just and and game of thrones was such a huge phenomenon at the time it, it, yeah. it was everywhere it was one of the biggest draws on tv i think it was the most downloaded show like and the most, most pirated, pirated show yeah yeah uh, in the world uh, the budgets were extortionate it made huge stars of everyone in there. Um, Peter Dinklage was bigger than um, bloody, um, oh, what's his name? Robert Downey Jr. at one point. And then after that final season, and it was just the last season, which was what, 10 episodes, something like that? Yep. It was a I short was, season. It was six, I think. Six. After yeah. that last season, everyone just went, nope. No, it's bizarre. I mean, like, we, we were, like, 
as it was uh, airing at the end of each season, we'd do a rewatch, you know, in preparation for the next season. And then we were sort of like, when it when it ends, we can watch the whole thing, you know, binge the whole thing, and we just never bothered because it's like I've watched that. I don't want to watch it again. They, well, they yeah, they they, they stuck that landing, didn't they? <laughs> Okay, so we're talking about the landing. What do we actually think of the ending of Game of Thrones? Well, I mean, it, it's clear it doesn't measure up to the promise of the beginning had or, or of a story. And I think we do have to acknowledge that the writers and the showrunners were in a bit of a difficult position where, you know, they started off adapting George R. R. Martin's uh, Song of Ice and Fire series. And when they had the books of which to adapt, it was fine. Yeah, but then you reach a point where you know George R. R. Martin is very busy commenting on American football. <laughs> you know, he takes up a lot of his time on his blog, and so he hasn't had a chance yet to finish this book, which is now I think a decade in the waiting. I Something like that. Yeah, it, yeah. It's been a while, and all of a sudden they were no longer adapting a a book series. They were now writing and creating a series, and that's two very different skills. I think you'll find it, it's they... very different to adapt a show to create a show they did keep saying that, that they were talking to george rr R. martin about it and they knew where he was going didn't they so they kind of still had ex- his expertise to some degree but not the written books so so I well think even a lot then of when this... you say you're I was gonna say, when you say you're talking to someone you know you could be throwing tweets at them you know yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i, I, I do mean... wonder exactly how much input he had in the probably the last two seasons because the last two seasons were the ones that hadn't been released as books they're the ones when they were kind of on their own, weren't they? Mm-hmm. I think there's, um, uh, I personally have a description that actually that was the ending that George R. R. Martin had planned um, and had envisioned to, to create. Because he always said that the reason that he gave it to these people is they guessed who John Snare's real family was <laughs> um, and the ending and who was going to be, uh, who was going to be crowned, you know, king or queen. It was going to be a king. Yeah. We all knew it. Um, I mean, so... <laughs> Sorry, I was going to say, on the other hand, maybe this wasn't how he was ending him. And he was just like, you know, just saying, yeah, this is what we're going to do. And he's testing out bad ideas on them. Well, there could be that. But also, I think there's something to be said there about the destination and the journey to get there. Yeah, yeah. And let's just be clear. There's going to be spoilers for shows which have all ended. Um, I'm going to leave it to Rachel to decide if she wants to put in the show notes which ones we're going to spoil as we go. But for Game of Thrones, at the end, and it's literally at the very end, it's like five minutes before it ends, they suddenly turn around and say, oh, and Bran's going to be the king. (laughs) And the problem is, up until that point, we'd all kind of forgotten Bran existed. Yeah, yeah. Um, And it was really out of left field. Yeah. But my point is, it might be a case that in George R. R. Martin's mind, in his books, he was going to have Bran end up on the iron throne and there might be two novels which lead to that becoming a very natural yeah yeah place where you get they go oh that makes perfect sense and there was that but no here it was just like oh we have to get to the thing and and do it what the last season of game of thrones felt like to me more than anything else is that the showrunners had had enough yeah they were bored with this and they were like we just want it over with because hbo said to them you can have another season if you want We'll give you money because this thing is the biggest show in the world. Yeah, they said they only wanted six hours, didn't they? They said. Yeah. They they turned down the option of more episodes and another season. They just said, now we'll get it done in six. With the same sort of energy that Nick Frost gives in Shaun of the Dead when he goes, I'll do it my night. 
Oh, I'll tell you something, actually, uh, that's been interesting. Uh, you know, the, the final season of The Expanse, yes. and it was revealed that it was going to be six episodes. Yeah. And, like, half of the internet was like, six episodes? It's going to be like Game of Thrones all over again. And all that was was the fact that it was six episodes, like the final season of Game of Thrones. The people <laughs> were like, oh, my God, it's six. It's like it's become sort of, you know, a warning for a bad season or something, just on the back of them asking for six episodes. But that's the only time I've heard Game of Thrones mentioned in a while, though, and it's in a <laughs> in a negative light in a comparison of the number six. So there you go. Yeah. I think. Uh, I think. Uh, well, I guess. Do you think the book endings was going to be the same? Well, I think even if it was going to be the same originally, I don't. Certainly think it not now. Be. No, <laughs> he, he's definitely going to have a look at that and go, "Yeah, when um, no." Look, so I, I honestly don't think he intends to release those last two books. I think they are complete. And I think he's basically going to just ride this wave out until he pops his clogs and have them released posthumously. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Hmm, that's what... I also don't think these books are ever going to be released. I certainly don't think he's going to be the one writing them. I think if there was any anticipation of that happening, uh, then we would have had a ghostwriter finish them off. If, if he was not going to write them and they wanted them out, a ghostwriter would have finished them by now. Oh, God, it's going to be Hunters of June, isn't it? <laughs> okay, so moving on from Game of Thrones, although that was the thing that obviously sparked this uh, this entire podcast uh, for, for me, um, there's, I guess, an element of um, intrepidation when we talk about endings because, you know, it, people think, oh, but my, I love insert franchise here, um, even when the endings are maybe not, that great or when the endings have maybe not been given the the true um uh gravitas they should have been um and moving from from fantasy to sci-fi uh i actually uh quickly want to talk about um the most recent star wars trilogy yeah. um, i thought we were going from fantasy to sci-fi <laughs> well that's true fantasy in space and okay. our space wizards space i've wizards. spoken about in uh, my magic episode with elagos um see putting it back in again um, it's, all these, it's all these callbacks. It's fantastic. It is. It's 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 like you know, Simpsons used to do those like roundup episodes of naff shit from the rest of the season. That's what this feels like. Just talking about other things. Have it's we walked into really. a clip show? I feel like this is a clip show. Basically, this is this is like the the season three clip show. <laughs> um, no, so uh, yeah, moving on to Star Wars, and obviously you've got the original trilogy, which everyone thinks has a really solid ending very clearly has an ending where it ends in terms of film and then we have a bazillion fan fiction basically books in the expanded universe some of them are great but some of them are most are not yeah most are not um so we are i'm only going to talk about the disney canon the official canon at the moment um because it gets too nebulous otherwise um and the most recent trilogy which again i think a lot of people think did not stick its landing at all. Well, I mean, it didn't stick its beginning, middle, or end very, really, very well. That's a, an entirely different story, though, isn't it? It's uh, there was never a clear path from beginning, middle, and end there, so it was never going to land its ending because they didn't know where they were going. That isn't necessarily a bad thing. Like George Lucas, for all he yeah. liked, oh yeah, yeah, but he had the entire art panned out when he wrote Star Wars. That, that's that's utter BS. They were making it up as they went along, but what you had with both the original trilogy and the prequel trilogy is you did have one clear voice yeah, yeah. steering. Someone had their hand on the tiller and it had a direction. In the sequel trilogy, 
that was not the case. Yeah, you had the beginning and middle of one trilogy and the uh, beginning and end of one trilogy in the middle of a completely different trilogy. I'm not even sure you had the beginning and the middle of uh, the beginning and the end of one trilogy. Those two films don't particularly well link either, even no. if they're what like that would have to be one hefty film in the middle to make that. Palpatine oh. has returned. Jesus. <laughs> it's all right. It, it, it was in Fortnite. It's fine. Yeah, <laughs> Fortnite told you, Stephen. Oh, don't even start me on that. That's, I mean, God. That's an entirely different thing, though, isn't it? That sort of, you know. Star Wars is particularly galling because it's it's such a beloved franchise that, you know, so many of us, you know, have grown up with and loved. Perhaps some more than others and perhaps some too much. But with Star Wars, the problem when we're talking about the sequel trilogy is because of the, um, the, the production of it. You know, you had The Force Awakens, which is basically just a note-for-note remake of A New Hope. It is, people. Get over it. Yeah. And that's fine, okay? It was a it was a comfortable remix of the greatest hits, basically. It was like, okay, here's Star Wars. We know how to do Star Wars. Everyone's on board. That's fantastic. J.J. Uh-huh. Abrams wrote a series of memos for the next director saying, this is how I envision this story going forward, and this is what I would do. You know, this is why I've set all these things up. You know, he sets, he ends The Force Awakens, and the ending of Force Awakens is perfectly serviceable. It ends with Ray handing Luke his lightsaber, on a mountain somewhere, you know, he's in his full Jedi robes and ooh, mystery boxes and ooh, all of this sort of stuff. The kind of stuff that JJ Abrams. <laughs> well, loves it's a perfectly to do. suitable ending, knowing that there's going to be more movies made, which is yeah. at the time we knew. So you knew it was not the end end, it was the middle end. Yes. And Force Awakens is fine. Last Jedi, which I maintain is the best Star Wars film of them all. Not well, it's the best film with the word Star Wars in it, not the best Star Wars film. But that's a different podcast altogether. But <laughs> what you have there is Ryan Johnson. You know, he, he he effectively, there's a scene in there where Luke's holding that lightsaber and throws it over his shoulder. That's Ryan Johnson saying what he thinks of J.J. Abrams' notes, basically. But he worked very closely with Colin Trevorrow in the construction of his next film, which was going to be Duel of the Fates. And he seeded things and there was things going backwards and forwards. There was a lot of discussion with the story group. But then Colin Trevorrow made the mistake of releasing an independent film, which Disney didn't like because it didn't perform well enough and got fired. Because Disney went through a period around this time of just firing all of its directors because reasons. Um, so they brought back the worst person you could have brought back to finish that trilogy, which was J.J. Abrams. Not because he's a bad director, but because he had a preconceived notion of where he wanted the film to go. But he hadn't done the middle. And once more, we're in the the destination and the journey sort of a debate there, where he he, he had a destination he wanted to get to, which was this... I'm gesturing because I don't even know quite what it was. Um, and I'm sure there was a lot of studio notes when it came to Rise of Skywalker. And he just went and made that thing. And it's 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 really the most cynical of all the Star Wars films. And it just doesn't live up to the legacy that was laid out before it. It's a competently made film. But is it a satisfying ending to that story? No, no. I, 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 I could rant about Rise of Skywalker, but do you know when you get to a point and you think, I'm done? I haven't even had the urge to rewatch it for, well, since I rewatched it. I made the, the mistake time. of having to see it twice in the cinema. I, I saw it twice in the cinema because the first time was sort of, it's like, you know, big screen, noisy, flashy, wow. And you come out kind of happy because it's Star Wars on the big screen. But then you think about it for a while and you're like, but that didn't make sense and that didn't make sense and that was just pure 
like basically he was trying to put nostalgia in a needle and jab it in your arm, but without any of the connections that made it nostalgic for people in the first place. It was just like, look, a Star Destroyer. Look, the Lars Homestead. Uh, uh, look, Palpatine's back because he was the bad guy last time. Uh, there's no connection to what it meant to people. It's just throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks. None well, of it. The last Star Wars film, I think is interesting to look at because it transitioned for me from a story, a piece of narrative, to a piece of content. <laughs> and I yeah. say that specifically because studios do not like endings. They don't like things to come to an end because when things come to an end, they stop. You can't make money off of them anymore. And uh, Mark Bernardin, uh, uh, you may know from uh, Batman, uh, Fat Man Beyond podcast with Kevin Smith. Yep. Uh, he's a comic writer. He said comics are perpetually stuck in act two. Yeah. Because comics never end. I mean, you, you get stories like, you know, Sandman, for example, or limited stories like Watchmen, which, you know, they, they have a beginning, a middle and an end. But <clears> comics, <throat> as a rule, don't ever end. They maintain this perpetual status quo. And Rise of Skywalker and a lot of the Disney Star Wars content on the big screen side of it have felt like that. It's been a sense of we don't want it to end. I mean, if you look at The Rise of Skywalker, it doesn't feel like the end, does it? It doesn't have a, you know, it, it doesn't have that moment like the end of Return of a Jedi where, you know, they're having this massive party while the ruins of the Death Star rain down, fiery death upon all of Endor, wiping out all life everywhere. You know, it doesn't have like Revenge of the Sith where you have Vader, um, Palpatine and that guy in the Mike Myers mask um, looking out over the remains of a Death Star. It doesn't have that sense of closure of ending. It just feels like there's been stuff on the screen and now we're and now my name's Ray Skywalker and we'll be back in a couple of years with another one. I mean, another aspect of that though is it doesn't feel like an ending because they haven't earned an ending because there was no point at which everyone would go, this is where it ends because it was all thrown at the wall. Well, that's my next point is, do you have to, do you have to earn your ending or can you just end something? Or do you, do you have to earn it? Do you have to uh, work to the point of an ending, a satisfying ending? Well, uh, to, to quote a wise princess, the beginning is a very difficult time. But endings are more critical. And really, it's a shame we couldn't get someone like Jen Williams to come and talk on here or uh, an author, because endings in stories, I think, are the most important part of a story. You need the beginning to get you into the story. But once you're invested with that beginning, the ending will the ending has to convey really the final message of the story. It has to kind of sum everything up and it has to leave you, the reader, the viewer, the recipient of this thing, satisfied because there's nothing worse than an unsatisfying ending to a thing, especially if it's a thing you've loved and there's nothing more coming along. So I think Sarah Connor Chronicles. <laughs> I think based on that, <clears throat> you could say that the Last Jedi has a really good endpoint for yeah. Star Wars. Um, the Luke Skywalker dies. Um, Ray is now a Jedi, or you know, is now had some training, 
is off to be a Jedi is kind of in a similar place to where Luke was um, at the end of uh, Return of the Jedi. And, you know, the rebels of a small plucky band of rebels have escaped again. They've thwarted the bad guys. Um, and it ends on that shot, which I hate, but actually is a really good end shot of, you know, the boy with the ring and then the brush. It's yeah. got a really uh, pointed, uh, prominent message in, in that respect. Um, and I actually think the end of The Rise of Skywalker doesn't work there because what? it's a really sour note it's a really it's her on her own on a sandy planet exactly where she started the only difference now is she has a laser sword that she has no idea how to use really because she's not fully trained i, I don't think even... i don't think that much thought was put into it i just think that they wanted to end it at the lars homestead because of the connection that had to fans it's like we're going back to tatooine we're going back to where it all started for reasons but there's no but logical reason for her to go there it's even worse though because the ending of the rise of skywalker completely undermines and undercuts the message of the last jedi the last jedi implicitly says anyone yeah can have a destiny anyone can have a story it, yeah you, you know anyone can achieve greatness and then the she's, whole thing then about she's Ray Palpatine, except she's a clone or a daughter of a clone of Palpatine. It's all in the blood, isn't it? Yeah, but it's it's Jesus. it's this, this, <laughs> this whole thing from this whole thing from Ray uh, and Ben saying you're no one. You know, we had all this intrigue. Who are the parents? Are, is Obi Wan the father? Sort of thing. That was the whole thing that was going on at the time. And then it was you're no one. I loved the reveal that her parents were nobody. It was so good because of his expectations that they were going to be someone from the original series. Is it Han's fault? You know, is it Han? Is it Luke? Is it Ben? You know, every, you know, because there's only like six people in the galaxy. And then the revelation they were nobody was great. But then, oh, yeah, they were nobody. But your grandfather's Palpatine. And also at the end, you're taking the name of Skywalker and assuming that legacy. And you're kind of completely undercutting what i think was the message in that sequel trilogy and it once again you have to let the past go you have to grow up you but can't... talking about this andy you know yeah. like it was the fans it was the fan base it was the internet that started saying about who who's her father who's her mother who is it and then it becomes is it going to be disappointing because they're trying to do something different as in making her nobody and making anybody possibly be a force wielder or was it always the plan for her to be a Palpatine to keep this as a legacy of the blood and powerful force using families? And then the opinion of the internet, do you think that had any sway on what they ended up doing with it? And do you think people debating who Ray was led to the disappointment in finding out who she was in the end? Oh, it, it was absolutely a response to, and I finger quote here, of her fandom, but I'm yeah. afraid I can't speak further on that right now because uh, I do believe we have something coming up in season two where we will go into that in a bit more depth. But yeah, fair enough, fair enough. I mean, that's but another it, it, aspect it, worth considering about endings is is how people in their own head canon how they want it to end and how willing they are to let go of what's in their head and accept what the storyteller is is saying. And that's, I mean, that's an internet thing, isn't it? Like, you know, ravid fanboys and fangirls not liking what somebody's content is and poo-pooing it on the internet. It's become quite the thing, hasn't it? So that's but another... That, 
that goes back to Game of Thrones, though, where in Game of Thrones, they were browsing the Reddit threads and Twitter and looking at people's theories. Yeah. And when people guessed what they were planning to do, they changed their mind midstream. Well, I mean, so... look at look at Lost. They're all in purgatory. No, they're not. <laughs> for five years, yeah. that was what people thought was going on. And for five years, the creators were like, no, that's not it. And then it's like, <laughs> surprise, that was it. Mystery box. Yeah, but I mean, sort of, you are setting yourself up to fail by engaging with a fan base that thinks that they can write the story better than you. Yeah. And also saying, you know, allowing any of these theories to sort of get any traction within the creative team. So why can't we get them right? Because we're listening to fans. Is that basically the answer we're going with? We can't get endings right because we get too bogged down in listening to what people think the ending should be might be we can get the right and there are some fantastic endings out there there's some fantastic endings throughout you know uh blade runner for me has a fantastic ending i adore the ending of both blade runner and 2049 in the final cut for the reference for the original one there but i think i think it i'm going to get a little philosophical here I think we, as a species, are afraid of endings. You know, we, we don't like stories to end. And, you know, you kind of have this thing about, you know, death is the ultimate ending. There's a line from The Expanse where uh, Amos says, um, you know, death is just unfinished business. You know, I don't think we like endings. We love beginnings. You know, we love to, to dive into new things. We love to, to pick up books and, and new things. But when it comes to an end, you know, we always get sad that the thing we have enjoyed has ended or if it's bad we're just mad that i wasted my time doing it and you know the ending didn't save it there there's a bit in doctor who uh, i think it's a matt smith one where he, he opens a book and he immediately tears out the last page of a book and throws it away because he goes i hate endings <laughs> and i think that's kind of where we are and it's certainly where the corporations and the people who are pushing content in that way are. They don't like endings because when a thing ends, you don't do it. It's why I've really enjoyed limited series that we've been getting uh, on the streaming shows a little bit more, at least when they're planned to be limited series, where you have a good beginning, a middle and an end. And it's planned out from the beginning. They tell their story and then they go home rather than what the uh, Supernatural got to what season 15, 16? Well, fucking hell. Stargate got to... <laughs> oh, Stargate dear, dear. got to something obscene. Um, and Stargate actually ended, and then it kept going. Yeah, yeah. I think... So. Okay, so going to Stargate here, I think the original Stargate's got quite an interesting um, situation in itself because it was originally... Uh, they wrote it, they planned it, it was eight seasons and they killed off the Gould, like the whole eight season long-term arc ended. And it then... ended with them literally fishing at Jack's cabin, which is what they've been saying all the way through. We need to go and do fishing. And they did. Yes, and it yeah. perfect ending. And then, <laughs> then the, the network were like, it's okay, here's two more seasons. But they'd ended the show. The show had yeah. come to its end. Look, and there's then... more system lords. <laughs> And then it was like, oh, no, do you remember those kind of bad guys that we use as like a mid-season cliffhanger on season four? Well, they're back. And not only are they back, but they're now the big bad for two seasons. But there was no 
build up to them. They were just, it, it didn't work. It really struggled. The final two seasons of Stargate are not, the original Stargate do not hold up compared to the first eight because they had finished telling the story they wanted to tell. Well, I mean, that's an interesting point because like you have uh, creators that have a beginning, middle and end. They have their, like, we have a five-year arc, we have a three-year arc, whatever. And then it hits the ground and it becomes more popular. And then the network says, can you have some more seasons? I mean, that can, like, uh, Supernatural should have ended at five seasons. That was their plan, wasn't it? And then they carried on. T- I mean, I dropped out around season seven. And and then every year you'd hear, you know, it's back for another year, it's back for another year, it's back for another year. And I think, I think it became impossible to get into as a show. I, in 2010, was like, oh, you know, it's five seasons in at this point already. I'm not going to go back and watch five 22 episode seasons in a like back to back of essentially the same show. Yeah, it and becomes, then if, it, it becomes it becomes insurmountable, doesn't it? It's 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 that's and a then chore. In, and then in 2015, you're like, damn, there's now ten seasons to go. Like yeah, there is no yeah. there is no easy way to jump into this franchise now because it's so deep in. Yeah, but I mean, like my my point about that though is that do you think showrunners should stick to their guns if they have a story to tell that say five years, five year arc, five seasons? I was going to say Babylon Five is the best example there, isn't it? Well, yeah, I mean that goes the opposite way, doesn't it? Because that yeah. uh, that made the fifth season kind of a little bit superfluous in a lot of ways because of what well, you know. He, he had he had his five season art mapped out, yeah, you know, JMS, very much the forerunner of kind of like uh, the ongoing story arc shows that we get today. He had his five season art. They told him you're only getting four, so he kind of moved things around, wrapped up his story in season four. But in the middle of season four, they said, "Oh, actually, we've got another season now." And so he was in this weird place where he suddenly had to come up with content. And he did it in a way that I don't think is quite as trite as it could have otherwise been. And he tried to set things up for spin-off shows like Crusade, but those shows were never able to continue. So it feels like this weird coda. But what he did very intelligently was he filmed the final episode at the end of season four. And so you have... The cast, you know, people like uh, Claudia Christensen, who are still there for that episode, he filmed that and then he puts that at the end of season five. So even though season five as a whole is maybe weaker, that last episode of Babylon 5 is, to my mind, one of the best season finales of any show ever. I mean, well, I defy you to watch that show and not cry when you get to that final episode. You made an interesting point when we were like sort of sketchily discussing this the other week. Um, about the fact that another interesting thing about season five of Babylon 5 is that it it shows that life continues after a big world-changing event and there are more stories. It's very interesting in that respect because like you know most most of the of the big things happen in season four it's, it's a it's a it's a rip-roaring season. but then you know when you have your ending, sometimes things do continue. And sometimes a story can make the transition to whatever's next. And the fifth season of Babylon 5 is an interesting sort of take on that, I thought. Yeah, I'd agree with that. So we think there's definitely a case for when showrunners are asked to make more than they wanted to uh, or, you know, forced to, to add extra bits and how that doesn't always work and how we think it ends earlier. 
So I think I think I need to add in here. I always feel that uh, British made or UK made television shows are much better at endings than American ones. But I think, you know, we we very much have a lot of our shows have a very definite end point. Uh, so Derry Girls, which is a hugely popular comedy. One more season, it's done. Three seasons, that's it. Fleabag, two seasons. Ended on a really good, strong point. Even things like Gavin and Stacey, um, which though was not for me, they have short seasons. You know, we're not talking 22 episode seasons. We're lucky if we get 12 episode seasons. And they very much have their end point. Um, obviously, that's not the case with everything. But we definitely have, I think, a better standard of doing that in the UK or, or maybe more of a precedent that we do that in the UK. We are used to things not going on forever. I think there's a tendency in America, particularly in American television, that stuff has to go on forever. I mean, how many seasons of Law and Order have we got? And CSI, yeah. Yeah. you know, and Grey's Anatomy. You know, these shows are going on forever. Yeah, yeah. But I think that goes back to your uh, syndication episode there, where in the UK, because of the way that TV was structured throughout much of the 20th century, you know, you had BBC, ITV, really. There wasn't really a huge demand to get to, was it 100 episodes? Was the syndication cut off? 88. 88. You didn't have that same impetus to get there at all costs so that you could go into syndication and then it was just like, okay, fine, we're done. You know, in the UK, especially with what we were getting from the BBC, it was, you know, they've commissioned three seasons of this thing. Tell your story. You get three seasons and then that's it. Uh, there were a couple of outliers there. I am looking squarely at you, Doctor Who. But <laughs> Oh, well, if... no, I disagree on the Doctor Who front in some respects. I do think Doctor Who you needs to You mean there's only go... been three, ep- three seasons of that and I missed it? Have I been hallucinating all this time? <laughs> no, uh, but they've. I think they've got around a lot of that by doing the regeneration. You know, they have found a... a if you look at each season of Doctor Who with a different, or each different Doctor in the same way we look at different seasons of Star Trek. It's a very unique way to give something legs, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, but that's, that's how I, for me, Doctor Who does similar to Star Trek. You know, you've got the original Star Trek, then you've got the next generation, then you've got Deep Space Nine and Voyager, and they're all different sections. I sort of view Doctor Who in a very similar way, or at least that's how it may be more used to be done. I'm not entirely sure that's the as case as much now. Well, since you, since you brought up Star Trek, my, my chosen specialist subject, Magnus Magnuson. So Star Trek's interesting because, as you say, there's been multiple iterations of Star Trek over the years, some of which have ended and some of which have stopped. <laughs> the original series. Uh, so I was waiting for you to mention Riker. <laughs> oh, well, you know. Um, <laughs> But the, um, the original series, it was cancelled after three seasons. It didn't really have an ending as such. It had a normal episode and then there was just no more Star Trek. But with The Next Generation, we had seven seasons and they planned to end it after seven seasons because they were spinning up other shows. So you had a planned ending. Final episode, all good things. Fantastic episode with some great callbacks to earlier stuff. And, you know... Your mileage may vary as to whether or not you think the end episodes are good or bad, but you know, Deep Space Nine and Voyager also ended. But then Enterprise came along. And Enterprise is interesting. Firstly, because mainly because has... no one liked it. Unfairly, unjustly so. It the, once again, the, and again, we will get to this on our fandom episode. The fans decided they didn't like it before it even aired. And that was just the way it was. But it got cancelled after 
season four. And, and typically these shows had had seven seasons, you know, Deep, uh, Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, all had seven. Enterprise was cancelled after four seasons, but the final episode they gave was such an abomination that even today you have people who just refuse to acknowledge it. It's just like, nope, it ended on, um, I think, Babel 1 was the episode prior to that, or Terra Nova. They just say, nope, that's the end of it. And then that last episode just doesn't happen. What uh, is so because, bad about it then? Why why can't we? Is it Game of Thrones bad? Like, why is it so bad? It's it's up there with Game of Thrones bad. It's just it didn't have the level of anticipation. Why is it so bad? Okay, so you have this, <laughs> this show, four Sorry. seasons of which... Uh... Um, was quite beloved by the people who were watching it. It was getting really good. Uh, they brought in a new showrunner at the end of season two, Manny Kota, who really turned it around. Enterprise is a fantastic show and it is well worth people's time. But, you know, uh, market forces being what they are, ratings were still king at this time. And I think they were trying to use Enterprise to spin off their own network, the UPN or something, and it just wasn't bringing in the ratings they wanted. So it was cancelled. And then for the final episode, uh, you had um, uh, Rick Berman and Baron Bragger, who were like the overall showrunners of all of Star Trek, like the Alan Kurtzmans of today, basically said they were going to write the last episode. And they decided to write a next-gen episode where the entire thing was framed as Commander Riker from the next generation, who this was 10 years since he'd last been on the next generation. I mean, he'd been doing the movies, but time had passed on was watching these events. Um, the historical the documents. The historical documents. <laughs> and it kills off a character, a beloved character, just for shock value, for no good re- there's There's no story purposes. It wasn't an earned death. It just pissed off a lot of people. Not only did the fans hate that episode, and I think it still regularly tops the list of all-time worst Star Trek episodes. Um, the cast hated that episode as well. The showrunners hated this episode. Everyone felt this was a huge disservice to the show and an opportunity to give it a good send-off and a good goodbye to the fans and to the people who had invested. And and this was really the last bit of Star Trek on TV until Discovery came along about 10 years later. Uh, Yeah, there was nothing planned, was there? Yeah, this was like it for Star Trek. And we got... They literally ended Star Trek. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it it wasn't as bad as, say... Batman Forever, uh, Batman, Batman and Robin ending Batman was. But it I mean, certainly... that almost that very, very Batman and Robin very nearly ended comic book movies completely. If we're if we're talking about that, like it very oh, nearly. You say that Blade came out the next year. So Andy, I have a question for you. Okay, do you think the final episode of Enterprise was worth it just for the joke that gets made about it in Lower Decks? Ah, you see, no. <laughs> Well, that is a very funny joke in Lower Decks. That made, that made me howl, that did. That yes, like... it's a very funny joke. But there's so many other good jokes in Lower Decks, I would have been happy for them to use a different one. It, it, right. <laughs> it was a huge disservice, and, and it's it was a huge misstep. And I think even um, the writers of that episode have come out and since and said, yeah, we, we fucked up there. Yeah, sorry, we were on drugs. Sorry. <laughs> well, they were definitely on something. Uh, mm. Oh, here's a uh, sorry, an interesting segue. With that episode the final episode of, of Enterprise, it's one of those things where they pull something out of left field that has got really nothing to do with the show as it is. They make it about somebody else watching what's going on. The thing about some endings that I always that I remember badly 
And I'm thinking mainly of uh, Battlestar Galactica and the Man in the High Castle here, is when they pull an ending out of their hats that doesn't fit in with... Do you mean out of their arses rather than out of their hats? Yeah, but I was was not swearing because you don't like that, so... (laughs) Okay. Have have you met her, Stephen? I have, yes, but anyway. Um, But they pull an ending out of their arses that doesn't fit with the narrative of where they had been going... um, and it's it it becomes a head scratcher. It's like it, this is a shock, but it makes no logical sense or so, storytelling sense. I, so here's an interesting thing about Galactica, right? And we're talking about the Ron Moore version here. Uh-huh. I don't hate the ending of Ron Moore's Galactica. The ending, I think, is okay. I, I think where the show fell down was really in season end of season three, beginning of season four, and a lot of that was down to the writer's strike at the time. Yeah, but. Uh, there's, there used to be a really good resource on the sci-fi website where you had uh, almost a commentary podcast from David Icke and Ron Moore, yeah. who was talking about doing it. And sometime, and I think this was around season three, he talks about one day. They, 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 they actually had a plan. If people have not seen Galactica, it always used to start off by saying, you know, Cylons are real and they have a plan. Yeah. And it turns out the writers had a plan as well. But one day, Ron Moore came into the writer's room and he tore or he rubbed out the plan that was on the whiteboard and he wrote it's about the characters instead and said instead of trying to stick to this plan which they'd come up with seasons before they should instead let the characters tell them where the story is going to go and write that way and that was a mistake well in um, in in what way does the character of starbuck tell everybody that she needs to die and come back as an angel look all i'm saying is that was the decision that was made. Uh, and look, the spiritual aspect of Galactica was there from the very beginning. Yeah, um, yeah, we've had, yeah. We've had references to the Cylon God. You know, an ongoing motif is all of this has happened before and will happen again. But I think what happened was they had a vague idea of where they wanted to go. They had um, seeds planted and then there was the right to strike. And then they lost the opportunity to flesh out to get to that final episode. I think the final episode is once again, where they wanted to go to, but we'd lost the connecting tissue because of that writer strike. Now, this the man is, in the high... this, this, sorry, this is going back to the journey rather than the destination, yes. isn't it? Yeah. And yeah. this is also with reference to the man in the high castle and man in the high castle, the Amazon show, um, it was canceled. Uh, well, it, it, it wasn't renewed for as much as I think they wanted it to. I think they wanted another yeah. couple of seasons. But it, it, yeah. but it was a really, really strong show to start with. I mean, the yeah. first season and most of the second season were was really, really strong. And, and then going, it went... Going into the third season, they knew it was their last season. So they had enough time to, to, to do something. But the thing about didn't... it is, is in the, last, in the last episode, it does something that has not been hinted at, suggested or seems to fit in with the mythology of the show at all. Well, and then I it th- goes I like, da-da! The, the thing there is, though, I think it may not fit in with the mythology of the show, but it absolutely fits in with a Philip K. Dick story. Yeah, but it's it's not a Philip K. Dick story, is it? But it is I mean, a Philip K. Dick story. It, it, yeah, I mean, that, my my a... point is, <laughs> The Man in the High Castle is a Philip K. Dick story, and, and the adaptation, I think that's what they were going for. Right, and I think right. they Once again, I think this might be... They knew roughly where they wanted to get to by the end of five seasons. Uh-huh. They're told, you've got one more season. And we're like, shit. And then they also lose one of their principal cast members. Yeah. Who uh, doesn't yeah. come Which, back. I mean, that's a big loss as well in that last season. Yeah. He's very definitely missed, isn't he? He is, because I don't feel that the Inspector 
I can't remember his name. I think it's Ito, isn't it? Ito. I could believe that journey over a season or two. I couldn't believe it over a break in between seasons. Yeah. Well, I mean, my issue with Man in the High Castle isn't the final season. I think the final season has its... uh, It's not a bad season. It's mostly the final episode that just goes... Well, and the final that... shot of the final episode. <laughs> yeah. So that, okay. So you say that, but that's a third show in a third show we've mentioned where it is the final episode. Yeah. That yeah. is the problem. You know, we've said that about. Um, I mean, not just Game of Thrones, but the final episode of Game of Thrones is definitely janky. Um, you know, the 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 ending of the Star Wars nine films had the same problem. Man in the High Castle Enterprise. A lot of these, Battlescar, like we're saying it is the last bit, the very, mm-hmm. very end. That's Again, it, the journey's great. The destination kind of sucks. Um, and it's why stick it's- the landing is a saying. It's because you can do a fantastic you know, routine, but if as you jump off of a pole vault, you stumble, you lose points there. I mean, so does moving- all of these things that you mentioned, though, all of the things that Rachel has just, just noted... They did something in their last last episode that didn't fit with the narrative of what had gone before it. And do you think it's that that makes people sort of balk? That it's like well, possibly because that's exactly what happened with Stargate. Scrubs yeah. did the same thing. Scrubs. Does anyone? I don't know if anyone even saw the final season of Scrubs, but they changed I the principal remember. cast. Yeah, I remember the final season, but but and it, not. As well, and it didn't as, work. No, it didn't. Um, it didn't. I think there's only a couple of shows where it actually works well to do something completely different for the final episode. And I think one of those shows it works really well for was Park and Recreation, Parks and Recreation, where they did do a complete departure for the final episode, and it was all time jumps into the future, but it was mm. done in a really wholesome way, I yeah. guess. Like it was, it was positive. Um, another show where I think you can say the ending is. Uh, and the final season particularly is completely off the wall is Buffy the Vampire Slayer where the final season kind of pivots away from you know the big bad of each season is coming to get them and there's one slayer to now everyone's a slayer the world's actually going to end like you get a slayer you get a slayer you get a slayer but it does a complete like everybody having a slayer everybody having a slayer doesn't make more sense than one slayer really I mean it's not that it doesn't make sense it's just (laughs) it's just a weird pivot for a final season yeah, um, yeah and obviously they wanted more seasons they didn't they got them made as comics uh which definitely meant they got more and more batshit as they went on but that final season of Buffy is quite a big departure in terms of what they actually do with it and where they yeah. go yeah so I think that's what we're saying with a lot of these um talking about endings where the thing very definitely ended and people won't let it go the Lord of the Rings, the original trilogy, brilliant. But then we got another three Hobbit films. I know they're technically prequels, but we we couldn't let it go. We couldn't let this great franchise go. And I'd say Harry Potter, where you've got a very solid seven books, eight films. It's solid. It's there. It's done. And now we've got, you know, we've 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 not allowed that to end. We've now got the Cursed Child play. And you've got now four, if not five, films in the Fantastic Beast series. Yeah, that's uh, that's just you know, why. Why can't we it? let? It, why can't we let it? Why can't we let it end? It had a very clear endpoint. It's set around a school, school years, school timetables. It's so clearly well defined. The book starts at just before the start of the year. It ends at the end of the year. The book series ends when school ends. When you when you graduate. Well, I mean that's that's leading it that's leading into a whole thing about sort of a franchise not wanting to stop, isn't it? I mean, 
that's when it becomes content over a story. I don't yeah. have a problem. I mean, I haven't seen The Cursed Child, so I can't speak to it. But I don't think there's anything wrong with continuing a story if there is a story to be told. And that's not yeah. just a case would of... You, would you like to know what The Cursed Child's actually about? I know what it's about. I, I, I know the... I mean, unless you want to tell it for the, the listeners out there. I, I know, though, the, the basic outline. And that could be interesting. You know, because look, we, we've all we've all survived public school. I'm pretty sure we all survived public school. Um, but you know, our lives have continued, and we're very different to the people we were at the time. It would be interesting to be able to revisit to ha- to have people who knew us then revisit us now to see the difference there. So I don't think that's necessarily a problem. But when it becomes much more of an issue is when it's just a like with the Hobbit films like with Stargate, as we've mentioned, you know, it's just, uh, no, we've just got to keep keep content, keep it going, keep it going, keep it going. We'll just recast everyone, it's fine. Keep, keep it going, keep it going, keep it going. And 88 and we're done. But, well, I mean, I, I agree with Andy that if you've got a good story to tell about the characters, then sure. But if you haven't got a good story to tell and you just want to keep making content because people buy the content, then I suppose it comes down to what the motivation to create is and whether sometimes stopping and walking away is the right thing to do or whether you know a network offers you more money to do it and you just want you just want to take the money i mean that's a i i mean i suppose that's to some degree that's a bit of a different different uh conversation isn't it but i think a good example of that is in computer games where uh-huh. i i'm a big fan of single player computer games because for me my video game experience is I want an interactive narrative, an interactive story. I play single player games. I like RPG games. I don't do multiplayer. It just doesn't interest me because I want to immerse myself into a world, into a story, into some characters. And Mass Effect is one of my favorite computer games of all time. And I adore the original Mass Effect trilogy. Uh, The ending of it, that's a separate discussion in and of itself. But, you know, still it had a good start, middle, and it ended. But then they did Andromeda, which was this sequel, spin-off, follow-up game. And, with, with Kevin Sorbo? Uh, no. Oh, I, sorry. I, I just got the joke you made there, yeah. Um, very, very amusing, yes. All, all two of the listeners who watched Andromeda will get that. But you had Mass Effect Andromeda came along, and everyone was, and I say everyone, the vocal gamers... Uh, uh-huh. to, to quote from uh, Stephanie Sterling, were upset that you weren't playing the same character you had before, that it wasn't exactly the same as it was before, that it wasn't the previous experience. It wasn't allowed to become its own thing. And so there's this hesitation, certainly on the gaming side of things, to just redo the same thing. I mean, as much as we love the Assassin's Creed games, they're all Do the we? same game. Zoe loves the Assassin's Creed game. She loves but... one Assassin's Creed game. Like, chill out. There's one that she likes. <laughs> My point is, though, they're all the same game. It's just fundamentally, it's the same character. I mean, yes, in Odyssey and I think in Syndicate, uh, there's an option to play as a female character. But really, it's the same game. It's the same story. It's the same missions. Because the the thinking of the producers, the publishers is, well, you bought it once, so you'll obviously buy it again. It's why there's such a bereft of IP. You know, people don't want to create new stuff. They just want to keep churning out. I mean, I think this year's the 18th Call of Duty game. I mean, 
and and they're even revisiting the same missions and everything. It's like why? And I mean, you can expand that out further based on that. You think you've got um, uh, uh, the WWE games where they come out more or less every year at this point and they're not actually that dissimilar. And actually even further than that, you've got the FIFA games where there is one every year and it's almost no different to the one before. There might be some yeah, new kits in there. it's just football, new... isn't it? Well, not that, but it's the same <sighs> teams and, you know, the same... Yeah mostly the same players and there's well, not I mean, a doesn't, huge doesn't, amount that's changed for football fans doesn't that though reflect real life because the football is basically the same team and the same players playing against each other every year they do but the when same you tournaments control that yeah there's sometimes you can say it takes away some of the the there is no surprise but <clears throat> you know that's that's a video game thing i think there's um some really good stories out there solid stories and i always think the tomb raider games uh particularly the late the uh, the three new ones uh that they've made have a really good solid story individually and actually the three of them together tell a really good story as well um as one continuous kind of narrative um and she's a really well-developed character separate point but she is um and then you've got things like outer worlds which again was a really nice uh kind of choose your own adventure style story um that had a good ending if you played it in that way uh played it a different way then i guess your ending was probably not as good i mean does this boil down to what you're getting from the game whether you just want a straight shoot them up or whether it's the story and the adventure you go on because i mean you have games aimed at both don't you I guess, but then there's also games where the end, you know, you can do a story-based game where the ending is poor. That does happen. Yeah. yeah. Um, sadly, more often than not, um, in my opinion. Andy, do you not have a, a comment? Well, I mean, it, it comes down to not all games are narrative-led or narrative-driven and uh-huh. not all gamers or players are playing for that aspect. You know, when it comes to games like FIFA and the sports games, it's not my thing. But I understand why they just throw out another one every year. One, because people will pay for it, but they want to have the new teams and everything. And yes, you could do that on DLC, but fine. But it's when it's a narrative game and they don't want to, you know, you know, your 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 hero is generic white bloke who doesn't speak, carries a big gun, is very muscular and kind of, you know, that's it. Who is, is fighting? He? Grr, who fights various, um, you know, multi-legged alien monsters across a wasteland where all of the walls are just at waist height, so you can crouch behind them. <laughs> and there's just the, the barest hint of a story, you know, placed upon it. You just don't get people willing to do the investment and make big narrative-driven games. I mean, even things like... Um, the old LucasArts games, Monkey Island, Grim Fandango, um, Sam and Max, you know, where the story was the the driving force behind those games. There isn't as much of an appetite for those because publishers have decided that's not what they want. They want to turn out a new Call of Duty, a new Battlefield, a new whatever every year. And you know, to keep the incomes coming. They're not interested in telling stories. They're not interested in allowing creators an opportunity to tell a narrative. They're interested in creating a product content. And we're back with comics. It's maintaining that perpetual status quo. Yeah. Um, the same missions with slightly slightly new weapons, maybe. 
yeah. Warhammer 40,000, um, you know, if, if people are familiar with, um, you know, that whole thing, you know, they've spent the best part of 40 years writing chapters and books. I mean, there's, there's hundreds of books set in that universe. Yeah. And they have yet to forward this storyline. And I, 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 things have changed recently, but the whole point of that was to just maintain a status quo. That's all they were doing. They were telling all these stories and nothing changed within the greater universe. Uh, now, what's going to be interesting is seeing what's going to happen with uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which, if we're honest, is the only successful cinematic comic universe going on. Sorry, DC, it just is. Um, <laughs> and they're approaching this issue themselves now. Where Well, I mean, this is a, a thing about endings, though, is that with mm. the whole post credit the film is not allowed to end because it's giving you the teaser for something else, isn't it? That's another avoiding ending your your film, isn't it? I mean, Marvel, how on earth could Marvel actually end their film, their superhero movies now? Uh, legitimately, how could... We had Endgame, which was about the only end point they possibly could have put in, where this, the you know, the superhero franchise... Uh, blockbuster smash is going to have to end at some point, much the same way that spaghetti westerns ended, and you know the the kind of eighties action hero movies have pretty much ended. You know they had a a revival and then gone. You know there's going to be a point, a time when we stop making superhero movies, and how on earth are they going to end Marvel? I think you're going to have a Bond situation where it's just going to keep limping on. They're, yeah, as long yeah, as it makes I agree. any money at all. They, I, it, it'll, it'll get to a point where they will reboot it and they'll do it, you know, in some sort it, it's going to do what happens in comics, you know, and we see this with, um, you know, on the DC sides with like the uh, Crisis on Infinite Earth, where there'll be a big event and it, everything will be reset back to the beginning. Yeah. And you'll have either a new Tony Stark with a remake of Iron Man or you'll have a because by the time I get around to this, they'll probably perfect the technology. Well, I mean, you say you say get around one. to this. <laughs> yeah. You say you say get around to this, but they're already kind of doing it with the multiverse thing, and they're getting past villains from other Spider Men stories. I completely disagree. They've already done this twice. We've done this with the X Men in their own universe. Yeah, yes, yeah, true. Yeah, yeah, it has we've already happened. It, we've done it with Spider Man three times, and we've mm. also done it with um, the Fantastic Four. Three but times. All, all they're doing though is they're taking notes from the comic books, like Andy says. There's there's years and years and years of reboots and resets and reimages of the same characters and the same villains. And comic book fans are already well aware and accepting of that to some degree. And then they just transfer it onto the big screen and streaming services as well now. And they're, 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 they're using the same tricks to reboot and recast. And they're making some of it in-universe plausible things to happen, like, you know, multiverse and alternate universes. And So so are we just saying, long and short of this, are we saying that superhero movies are going to fizzle out rather than end? I, they, I don't think they'll fizzle out. I think there may be low points and then they'll come back again. But I, I, think I think as that, long as... Oh, I, say, I think as long as Disney is allowed to continue in the monolithic nature that it currently is, where yeah. it isn't telling you, it isn't giving people what they want, it's telling you what you want. They'll continue to churn these out until they de they decide they 
don't want to or want to change track uh, tack somehow. As I um, said, at which point it's not going to have a big glorious ending. It's going to fizzle out. Oh yeah, they're not going to do a big. You know, if it gets to a point where it's not profitable, they're not going to allow the creators to have a final story. We're not going to get a like with Farscape, you know, a mini thing or a Serenity type film where you know you get closure for these things. It will be. I mean, I don't know how many consecutive box office bombs they'd need before they would say to do it. And well, I, I mean, with the superhero universe, though, like closure is not built in, is it? Though Con- continuation yeah. is the name of the game, and as long as they can do that, they'll do that. Except some one-offs, like you've had uh, Logan, which is based on the Old Man Logan series, and there is there is lots of kind of one-offs and short stories where they do have like these endings or these ending episodes. They will never end. Yeah. So, okay. So, so we are all agreeing that uh, comics aren't comic movies aren't going to end. I mean, we've had what six, seven iterations of Batman now, just in TV, not including uh, video games or TV series. Um, we've had two versions of Wonder Woman in the same way. So are we saying comic movies are never going to end? Well, I mean, Westerns haven't ended. You still get them periodically. And same with crime dramas. You know, it, it, it is, they're always going to exist to an extent. Will they continue to be this all-encompassing juggernaut, which will never let us go? Um I don't know. I mean, I mean, the, you know, the thing is at the moment, though, is between the movies and the streaming services, they've kind of got all the bases covered. So if it stops making as much money at the box office, then they can retire to the screening, to the, to the, to the, the, the streaming services for a while until it becomes more popular. So I think it, it won't end, but I think it will have sort of, you know, plows and troughs. Is that the word? Plows and troughs, dips and waves, whatever it is. Peaks and troughs. Peaks and troughs, that'll do, yeah. No, I like plows and troughs. Let's go with that. Yeah, I like plows and troughs. I guess we're in that now. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think, sadly, I think we are being robbed of good endings. And I think creators are being robbed of the opportunity to write an ending or to create endings because we as consumers, as fans, and as networks and, and, and kind of uh, the money side of it are refusing to let endings happen. I mean, I'm trying to think of something that ended and I'm, I was happy with it and there are plenty out there, but at the moment, all I can think of is bad endings. And I think the thing that left me feeling the least satisfied was probably Man in the High Castle because it just seemed to just like blow it right at the end. So, yeah. Although, no, I do have a good ending and that is a uh, Farscape. The ending of Farscape, the, uh, no the miniseries. No one watched Farscape. The miniseries where they got to wrap it up, I thought was really, really well done considering how much the limited time they had to do it and how much they had to wrap up. I was very satisfied with that. Everybody go out and watch Farscape. It's fantastic. I'm done. Uh, Okay, well, I mean, I've already mentioned it, but I will say that the ending of Babylon 5, the episode Sleeping in the Light, is, is one of the most beautiful endings to a show ever made. And it's it's done with such love for the property, for the characters, for the story. And you can feel that. And it's it will tug on your heartstrings. It's just such a beautiful ending. And it just you know underlines it perfectly. I wanted to mention just very briefly, though, because um, we didn't really touch on a huge amount of book stuff. Um, there's a, a series of books that I've really enjoyed called the Red Rising series by mm-hmm. Pierce Brown. Yeah. And the first trilogy ends really satisfied there's a it, it ends i was really happy with it it was great 
it just stuck for landing. And I was happy with that self-contained trilogy. But then he wrote two more books and he's got another one coming out now. And I'm, I'm very conflicted. And I don't, I, I, I had my really nice ending here and now you've done other stuff and you have another ending coming up and I'm worried. Are you going to stick this landing as well? It's ooh. Andy Boo's in exactly the same boat as you about that. She really loved the original trilogy of it and the ending and where it left it. And then there's like, Oh, more books. What do yep. we do? <laughs> yeah. I made the mistake of reading them. <laughs> so I have a really interesting opposite to that. Um, the wool trilogy, which I love. Um, I don't know if anyone else has read the world trilogy, uh, but it's a book series. Great. has a really kind of succinct ending start to finish. Really great. Uh, the creator actually then, uh, it was based on one silo and there was at least 49 silos in total and actually said uh, other people can go and write other stories based in other parts of this universe. Um, so kind of oh, opened it up to the floor um, as a creator and said, I'm done writing in this space, but here are my books. You can't write any more about this one particular thing, um, but go write about the places. And actually what you've seen is I guess a bit like the Star Wars extended universe. Some of it's good, some of it's not so good, but there's a really good um, kind of dichotomy where people have kind of respected the ending that is given. No one has written past that ending or before the start, but they've all kind of got their own stories that have been written around it. I really like when you allow other stories to take place in well-built worlds. One of my biggest issues with... um, Prometheus and Covenant, aside from the fact they're the shite, is <laughs> these are fantastic worlds to explore, but continuing to try and tie back into the one story is is a huge misstep. And I think I would be so much happier if they just explored other stories in this world that's being created. I think I think not enough people explore worlds outside of but one Andy, story. Everybody loves it when everybody's a Skywalker. <laughs> Palpatine has returned. He fucking yes. what now? Where did that come from? Is he also a Skywalker? No, yes, my name is Speak. <laughs> but only in Fortnite. Do um, you know one thing that really, really bothers me about? Uh, only one no. thing. Oh, yeah, there's too many things. I'm sure I've mentioned this before. But putting a time limit at the start of the film and saying everything else happens in 14 hours. Ah, oh, every time. Especially when that movie felt like it went on for like 16 hours. It's like they visited like 20 planets in in, in, in less than a day. It's because time has no meaning, much like the last few seasons of Game of Thrones, where it's like it used to take us whole seasons to get across to here. But fuck that. We're going to do it in two minutes because we're running yeah, out of time. That really Pick up bothered the pace. me. Pick up the pace. Run faster. Run faster, Peter Dinklage. Run. Travel Run by map. <laughs> <laughs> um. I actually, <laughs> side point, I actually think uh, Harry Potter universe is also really interesting and I'm really sad we don't get more explained. Well, I'm not because she's a horrible turf and I never want to give her any more money. But I think the world she created is really fascinating and I'd love to see more stuff set in that world that doesn't automatically tie back to the main franchise, Harry Potter. Yeah, sometimes when you've got a really well-built world, it's a shame that other stories don't take place. It doesn't I mean, have I the say same characters. I would not say it's well-built. All um, right, interesting. Yeah, a, I think a, pl- a place you could see to be explored more. Exactly. Okay, so that's Stevens. Andy, have you given us your your final? You did, didn't you? Yes, I did. I gave you two. Uh, well, you did. Uh, so uh, as you've picked two, uh, I'm actually going to pick two as well. I'm picking both TV series um, on this point just uh, because I can, really, because it's my podcast. Um, and I'm going to start with um, 
Peaky Blinders, which I don't think either of you watched, um, no. but British TV show, Proper Gangsters. Not enough space chips. In, uh, not enough space <laughs> chips. Um, but that had a really, really set point when the creator uh, created it and put it out. It starts uh, at the end of the First World War and it starts at the end of the First World War and it ends at the beginning of the Second World War. It mm-hmm. is entirely. So I know that maybe you don't like this, Stephen, because it's got given itself a time limit, but it very intentionally like this is when our story is set. This is when it's going to end. And the creator always said he had a very set endpoint for the series. Um, That's the- fine as long as they don't try and visit 20 planets. <laughs> Um, no, it's all about. I, mean, I wouldn't let things like that, things like the length of a war, dictate how long your show should be. Because I mean, Mash went on for like five years longer than the Korean War did. <laughs> well, I know. I always find that amusing. Um, but the creator always said, you know, the the end. It started. They all had PTSD, and it was all about these men kind of coming to terms with the horrors of war um, that they did. These uh, the characters were all uh, they were diggers. So they were digging under trenches. So it was lots of cross Really cleverly done. Um, and he always said the final season was uh, his final kind of act um of his final um final episode of his final season he wanted to be when the call to that war had started again it was you know we were back back in war second world war was starting and it was all these men putting down their lives that they'd done and going back to war yeah so it kind of had that cyclical nature and i really like that i like the fact that he had this very strong end point so peaky blinders aside which i think uh has got this really uh, has always had this end goal in mind or this ending point and not to step forward past it. Uh, the other show that I'm going to bring, which I think absolutely nails its ending, possibly more than any other show, is The Good Place. Oh, good choice. Um, I know it's a good choice. Um, mm-hmm. It's The Good Place. Uh, but the entire show, The Good Place as a show, is about endings. It is about the afterlife. It is about coming to terms with death and what is after death. So the entire four seasons are about your ending or the ending or who you become after the ending. So I feel like it's a good show to mention as an ending. And the final episode, no shame, makes me cry no end, when they all choose to move on from the good place and have their own ending to something they don't know that's next. A very, yeah, that was a good, that was a good show, that. That's it, is that what it, it was a good show. <laughs> it was either that or make a joke about Bran becoming king. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so that is um, the end of uh, this episode of the Narrative Labyrinth. Um, and actually the end of this season of the Narrative Labyrinth. Who knows if we'll make syndication or have another season. Andy and Stephen, uh, thank you both for coming on. Do you have anything else that you'd like to uh, add before we go? Yeah, I don't think so. I, I delight to be here. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to have been able to come to your podcast and, and talk to you. And uh, I look forward to having you back on mine and come and talk to me about stuff. Excellent. Anything you'd like to add, Stephen? No, I'm all good. It has been a fun conversation and I was glad to be a part of it. Thank you very much. Excellent. So don't forget to catch uh, our future seasons and all our previous episodes on all good, average and basically middling podcasting platforms uh, where we do delve into the depths of narrative on the screen, on the page and the stories we create ourselves. My name is Rachel and I've been your host. Thank you very much and goodbye. You should just cut to black. Oh, wait, no, it's a podcast. You can't do that. I could, though. Let's just cut to silence.